Uh, typically, Sundays are called the Lord's Day because it's a day in which we focus on worshiping the, the living God. And on this particular Sunday, however, it's not only the Lord's Day, but as uh, Pastor Bill is sharing with us, it's also Mother's Day, Ladies' Day. And I don't know about you, but sometimes um, people give us unsolicited advice, and mothers and ladies, probably you get that at home all the time. I know we get this at church as well. Uh, I got some letters, and, and this is a couple of my letters this past week. Uh, Dear Pastor, could you talk to my mom? Uh, my mom says I should memorize the Ten Commandments in Exodus, but I don't think I want to because we already have enough rules in our house now. And, and then there was another letter I got, and this is from a, a little girl named Tina. And, and, and Tina was sh- sharing with me or writing this. Says, Could do you also talk to my mom? Because sh- she's teaching me how to pray, but sometimes when I pray out loud, sh- she laughs. And this is one of the prayers that I prayed, and it, it brought a smile. In fact, chuckles to my mom. It says, give us this day our deli bread. Glory be to the Father and the Son and to the whole East Coast. <laughs> I don't know about you, but all of us live on the West Coast. We're always praying for the East Coast. And then uh, sometimes we get things from um, the, the people in the church, and they're always asking us to, to play their favorite song, their worship song, every Sunday. And it just it's impossible to do that. Like, for instance, uh, you know, my dentist, he's always talking to me. He says, you know, I want you to sing this hymn. I said, what hymn is that? Crown him with many crowns. Now, I don't know what you really think about this morning as we come together, but really, this is a day in which we want to celebrate the Lord but we all, and learn from him, but we also want to celebrate the ladies and the mothers uh, in our church and our community, and we've been giving out special gifts to them this week, and we hope all you ladies out there feel really cherished. And as we think about that, uh, one of the ways we know we're cherished is because God cherishes us. He loves us, and he has a plan uh, for our lives. And before we look in God's word uh, this morning, let's look one more time and ask God to help our minds and hearts to be uh, in, in tune with him so we can learn what he wants to teach us. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, we do ask on this day in which we come together uh, online and some in physical presence on our parking lot service, but, but also we want to just look to you and ask that you might speak into our lives Help us to learn from you this day, and we praise in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we've been going through a series in the book of Exodus, which is really appropriate for this time in our lives, and things are happening that we can't explain and we weren't prepared for. In many ways, that's what happened in, in Egypt when God unleashed the plagues on that land, and even God's people were, were learning from him new lessons in life. And we're in that part of that story now where, where God is really speaking in our lives and into the lives of his people, and he He's really, really challenged him to, to, to keep it real. Now, what we mean by that, what we usually mean when we say that in, in a phrase is that uh, if, you, if you're going down a certain path, make sure you're, you're genuine, that you're not pretending, you're not being a poser, uh, that you're being authentic. And really, when you think about what this is all about, we're all, always speaking to people about getting connected with God, to get in touch with him, and, and to enter into a relationship with him. And sometimes people try to do that, and afterwards they just say, well, you know, it doesn't seem real to me. And really that's always been the challenge for people as they hear about God and they start to think about God and maybe take steps toward God. But somehow when they take those steps, they don't take all the steps and they don't really experience him in a full way. Or maybe all their good experiences are in the past and not experience it now in the present. And so this passage we're going to be looking at today really speaks into that. As God wants us to, to keep it real, and, and really the reality is, it is real, but we need to do some things to, to experience the reality of it. 
Jesus is real, but if we're not real with him, we're not going to experience it. It won't be genuine. It won't be authentic. It'll be something that maybe we're trying to do on the outside, but nothing happens on the inside. So hopefully you'll, you'll see as we look at Exodus chapter 13 uh, this morning and this afternoon, this evening, whenever you're watching or listening to it, that God really wants it to be real for you. And how does that happen? Well, I want to begin this way. It really happens, and it, and it comes in the whole flow of what God was doing with his people then. It, it becomes real when, first of all, God is first and central in your life. God had done the miraculous. He had done the significant, uh, had set them free. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 51, it says, And on that same day, the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. All of them went together. And you can almost think, well, that, that, the big thing had already been done. Now they could just be on easy street. But then God brings Moses to speak a word into the people's life. And it says in Exodus chapter 13, verse 1, this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... And what he was saying, this is, we're going to look at this first point this morning. What he was saying to them is, look, if you're going to experience this in a real way, then don't play games with me. You've got to put me first, and he's got, you've got to, he, I've got to be central in your life. And what God does with them, he gives them an object lesson that will remind them over and over again that he is to be first and that he is to be central in their life. Let me just read a few of the verses in Exodus chapter 13, 1 through 16 that really emphasize that. Thus the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast, it belongs to me. Now that's a pretty clear object lesson, isn't it? If I'm going to be first, I'm going to give you a reminder that I'm first because everything that's first in your life, families, your firstborn son, your firstborn animal and all that you own, they are to be sanctified, which is a religious word to mean, meaning to be set apart for me. They are to become first in your dedication to your relationship to me. It goes on later in that chapter, in verses 11 and 12, and it puts it this way. Now, when the Lord brings to you to the land of the Canaanites, so now he's looking ahead, when you get to the promised land, again, I don't want you to think it's all over. Now you, you don't have to do anything to make it real in your relationship with me. I want you to understand this. As he swore to you and to your fathers and gives to you, you shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of your womb and the first offspring of every beast that you own, the males belonging to the Lord. So again, he said, I want you to understand, this is, this is a forever reminder that I am to be first. And I guess you could put it this way. When you think about God being at the central part of your life, how do you begin each day? You could also say, how do you end each day? Do you, do you begin it with speaking to God, who is the center of your life, and do you throughout the day speak to him, and then do you end your day speaking to him? That's putting him to first. And every time you look at that firstborn son or anything that you just got into your family, do you remember he is dedicated to God? He is set apart for him? Verse 14 says this, and it shall be when your son asks you in time to say, what is this? And often, after we've experienced something, we've got it somehow marked in our mind, but then the rest of our family didn't have that same experience. And he's saying, look, as you progress in life, I want you to have that not only for your own heart and your own life, but I want you to teach it to those around you, and particularly to your children. 
And, and when they ask you, well, why are we dedicating these animals? Why are we dedicating a special way the firstborn? Because, again, it's because it's first. And, and, and let me just tell you, I, I'm not the firstborn child in my family. He's not saying the firstborn is more important. I, I want my brother to remember that. But, but really what he's saying here is that that first one in the, in the home is special, it is unique, and it, it begins that whole direction of where that family is going. If you give that first one to the Lord, then hopefully the second one will follow along. And it shall be when your son asks you to, in time to come, saying, what is this? Then you shall say to him, with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. So it shall serve as a sign on your hand and as phylacteries on your forehead, for with a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Now that's a lot of religious language to say, look, God, God wants us to understand if it's going to be real with him, then he can't be just a part of our life. He's got to be what our life is all about. He's got to be at the center. We begin with thinking first about him and what he wants us to be and wants us to do, and it's, it's really in response to all the good things he's done for us. You know, it's interesting when they were traveling to the promised land, there was a very special passage that the people of Israel would remember and speak about in their home. It's, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. It's called the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear or listen, and, and, and this is how it reads. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. And and then it goes on in verse 9 and says, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And again, what God was just emphasizing with them is that, look, at, you, you can't forget this. This is what's most important. And what I want from you is for you to trust me and, and to love me and, and to obey me. And, and how that's going to happen is you, there's certain things you can't forget. And the ways you don't forget is, is keep talking about them. And every part of the day, whatever you're doing, just bring your relationship with me into that activity or that conversation you're having with others. It doesn't mean you have to use God words, but just bring my relationship with you into everything that you do. And particularly for parents, and this is Mother's Day, and, and whether it's the father or the mother, this needs to be spoken about in your homes in fact, what he uses as an, as an image, he said, look, you, you need to write these truths on your, on your hands and, and have these things written on your, on your foreheads. And, and the Jewish people have now put together flactories, little boxes, and they put it on their left or right hand, verses of scripture, and on their foreheads, they'll, they'll write scripture and put them in little boxes and bind them around their, their, uh, their heads. But that really wasn't the emphasis. It's okay if you want to make that as a as a reminder, but what he is saying, look, at whatever your hands do, you're thinking, how does the word of God speak into that? And as your mind 
goes different places, you, you, you begin to think, well, are, are these the thoughts God wants me to, to think? And is this the direction how my mind goes? Well, now my life will go with it. And he says, I, I want you to make this part of who you are wherever you go, what you think about and what your hands do. And then it even said, look, you need to also realize, I want you to put them on the doorposts of your house. Uh, if you go to Israel, in fact, we just took a, a group of people to Israel, and in the hotels, motels there, they have a little thing called a mezuzah at each door into your room. And in that mezuzah, a little, little compartment, it, it, our verse is written in it, and it's to remind the people that, that the Word of God should be central in their life. And so as you think about getting real with God and God being real with you, then our part is to make him first and make him central. You know, there's a passage in, Deut- in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, which really speaks about what should the result of that be. And it says this, when, when you ab- walk about, they will guide you. What's the they? The truth of the word of God. And when you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. You know, what we fill our mind with and our heart with is that which will lead us down certain directions in our life certain pathways. And he's saying, just like them, bind them on your hand and on, your, on your, the frontals of your, of, your, of your head and even on the doorposts and even the gates of where you work because this is what should lead you is you make it real. Your relationship is a 24-7 experience. It's not just something that happens on Sunday. It happens every day of the week. There's an interesting passage that parallels that but before I leave Proverbs 3.3, 3, what should there be the result of having the word of God just permeate your life? It says, do not let kindness and truth lead you. Sometimes uh, Christians give a bad rap about Jesus because we don't act like Jesus. But when we're allowing him to be first and central, we ought to be kinder than we normally would be. Our, our lives would be filled with truth. There's no fake news in the Christian's life when we're really devoted to him and making him first and central. And that's what he said to them right after he, he set them free out of Egypt, going to the promised land. He said, Moses, say this to them. Begin with them realizing every, everyone that is first in their life, whether it be a child or some animal, it should be set apart, devoted, dedicated to the Lord. But I want to read one of the passages in Proverbs chapter 6, and this is great for Mother's Day. In Proverbs, I have it in your outlines, uh, Proverbs 6.22. I want to back up a little bit. Proverbs 6.20. My son, observe the commandments of your father, and do not forsake, listen to this, the teaching of your mother. So on Mother's Day, Ladies' Day, hey, all of us need to listen to our moms. All of us need to listen to those ladies in our life that can share truth and wisdom to us. And then it goes on and says this in verse 21, bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. It sounds like what Exodus was talking about and, De- and Deuteronomy chapter 6 was talking about, but it wasn't talking about little boxes on your, on your wrist or on your forehead, but it's saying, I want you to take the truth you hear from your mom and your dad. I want you to take the truth from the word of God and, and I want you to listen to what's been said into your life and, and live it out. Let them make an impact in your life in everything you do and every place you go. And then it ends up in Proverbs 6.22. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. And let's be honest. Uh, probably all of us have certain memories about our parents and, and, 
And sometimes we've been in situations where we, we're trying to decide what to do, and, and maybe this is the question we've asked. I, I wonder what my dad would say about this. I wonder what my mom would say about this. Would, would they be proud of what I'm about to do, or would they be filled with shame by what I'm about to do or what I'm about to say? And if that be true about the parents and how they can influence, and let's be honest, the parents have the greatest influence in our life than anyone else in this world. But there's a greater influence even than that, and that's the living God and the truth he's given us in his word. And so as we think about getting real and as he sent the, the Israelites in toward the promised land, he said, look, I, I want to begin at the beginning. Put me first. Everything in your life, put me first and make me central. But then the story goes on, and as we pick it up in Exodus chapter 13, not only if we're going to get real, we put God first and center our life, it also becomes real when we understand there are no shortcuts with God. In Exodus chapter 13, beginning with verse 17 and and then 18, uh, this is what we read. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Even though it was near, for God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Now, if we had more time, if we had some elaborate maps behind me, I would, I would share with you that as they were leaving Egypt to go into the promised land to what is now known as Israel, uh, the Palestinian piece of property that there's so much uh, struggle and debate about, uh, they could have got there a lot quicker than the time they actually got, that they got there. Uh, there, was a, there was a quick trip. There was a shortcut. But the problem was that they weren't ready to go down that shortcut. There were all kinds of Egyptian fortresses that they would have had a battle. Uh, some of the Philistines would have been there, and they, they were not prepared to go to war. So God, in his great grace and mercy, said, look, we need to take the long way because there's some things you need to learn down the path before you get to a place where I've prepared for you to go. And I think we need to realize that in the Christian life as well. So we need to understand that there really are no shortcuts and that's where a lot of times people get disillusioned because, you know, they, they hear about all the great promises of, of Jesus uh, for us when we give our life to him, that he'll give us a, a new life, a life filled with his peace and his joy, his presence. It'd be a life filled not only with quality, a quantity of life, it's eternal life, but quality of life, it's abundant life. And we're wondering, uh, then why am I not experiencing that? Uh, because there are some things we still need to learn in this, in this journey with God. This is just the beginning when you surrender your life to Jesus. Uh, there, is, there is a journey of getting to know him in a deeper way and following him more faithfully and learning the lessons of life. And, and it's not only the destination, but it's the journey. And so when we think about that, we need to understand when we try to take shortcuts with God, then, then we're not going to experience how real God is for us because we're going down the wrong path again. You know, it's interesting. I was, um, maybe you're familiar with this. It's a rather popular theory or uh, statement that, you know, for someone to become really good at something, it's not going to happen in a short period of time or in an easy journey. Uh, Malcolm uh, Gladwell, in his book, Outliers, was was trying to discern, well, what makes some people really good at something and other people only so-so about something? Is it because some people just have a lot more natural talent? Of course, some people do. Some people are really athletic, for instance, and some people, 
you know, have a musical gene within them. Some people just uh, have a mathematical aptitude. And is it just that's the reason why some people are more successful than others? Well, he wrote in this book there that as he studied people that were really successful, he find out that they were talented, but that wasn't the that wasn't the the clue to their success. And his theory was it takes ten thousand hours of practice to get good at anything. And let me suggest to you, we don't become mature overnight in any part of our life. You know, we all, all began as, as babies, at least, at least I did. Did anybody else come in a different way? And we had to learn some lessons in life uh, so that we could prepare for the next part of our life. And I don't know if you've ever t- taken up a hobby or uh, pursued a particular discipline. It, it usually did not come easily the very first time. And actually, the, the, this, as he did some study on this, and there's some debate about the 10,000-hour rule, is it always apply in every situation, but it first began to be studied in the early 1900s by a team of psychologists in Berlin, Germany. And they, they analyzed uh, children that started playing the violin and then tried to determine what made some become violinists and some people just learning to play the violin. And they discovered when they looked at the ones who really achieved well in that musical instrument are those who put in the time. And they really looked at these people and they said, well, it wasn't because they were more talented necessarily. Some stopped about 4,000 hours as they did the study. But the ones who got to 10,000 hours and really gave it their all, they were the ones who became very profound and proficient and skillful musicians. And then uh, Malcolm uh, Gladwell did some other studies as well, at least the, the three that are best known. He, he checked out uh, uh, Microsoft, Bill Gates and Paul Allen. Are you familiar with Bill Gates? Uh, fairly successful people. And is it because they were just had, again, uh, the ability to, to deal with electronics and put together uh, computers uh, from the very infant stage and become the ones who uh, set the standard in so many different ways? Well, as, they looked at, as, as Malcolm looked at Paul Allen and Bill Gates, he discovered that even in their teenage years, they would just give themselves totally to mastering all that was going on in the computer world. And it was about 10,000 hours later when they began to just explode with their ability to, to take the computer world to the next level. But another one that kind of fascinated me, and he, he did a study on the Beatles. Remember that little group back a few years ago? And when the Beatles started off, I guess they weren't that good. They, they, they did a number of concerts, and people usually leave early, and, it, and they didn't sound that well. They didn't mesh very well. And, and then they proceeded. They just loved music so much that they began practicing eight hours a day, six or seven days a week. And then they somehow arrived on the scene after 10,000 hours of playing together. In fact, in 1964, they had determined they had given, they had given over 1,200 concerts before the world knew about them and discovered them. And 1,200 concerts, that's more than a lot of groups play in their entire career, and that was just the beginning. And so I want to submit to you that as you think about life and you think about the struggles of, of just going through life, but even more so of, of experiencing God in a deep and intimate way, is that we got to put in the time. And sometimes there are trials that we go through. Sometimes there are times that really stretch us. And, and just like God did not allow the Israelites, his people, to go that the, and the shortcut way, the, the way that would have been a lot quicker because there were some lessons they needed to learn. There's some things that they had to acquire in terms of trusting him so that they would really be his people and live out uh, his life in, in their lives.
So as you think about how, how do we get real in our relationship with God? Number one, he's got to be first and central. And, and that's an everyday practice. And it was an ordinance. It was a, it was a call for their life to live it out all the years of their life. Secondly, we got to realize there aren't any shortcuts in life, that we really have to give God our all over time. But there's another principle I want to share with you this, this morning, and that really uh, comes uh, from the last few passages in this scripture, a couple of points. Number one, it becomes real when you have reminders of God's goodness. It becomes real when you have reminders of God's good, goodness. In Exodus chapter 13, uh, again, we, we have... Uh, God doing some things that are kind of strange to our whole sense of, why would you do that, God? In Exodus chapter 13, beginning at verse 19, we have this. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you will carry out my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Sukkoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And you're thinking, why in the world would, the, would God throw that detail into the text? And why would God have them hold on to someone's bones for an extended period of time, 200 to 300 years, and then transplant them from the burial in Egypt to be buried in Israel? And I, and I think in many ways, it's just that simple Reminder to us is that God wants us to have reminders of his goodness. Now, we've already seen that already, and this is in your outline this morning. Is that, First of all, God established the Passover meal to give them a reminder that, that God is good. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, we hear, hear these words. Now, this day, this is the Passover day, will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. So every year, they have to break out the, the, the lamb shank and the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs and whatever else they put in that memorial, uh, forcing them to remind them that life wasn't always like it is now. Uh, th- there were some days in the past in which they were under bondage and slavery, and, and God, God delivered them. He set them free. He, he passed over the judgment that they deserved, and he gave them forgiveness. And so every year, and not only the Passover in terms of that, the one day to celebrate that, but then the unleavened bread celebration that every day for seven days, they, they ate that what tastes like stale bread to remind them that there were days when it wasn't so good, and now God has delivered them. And so there was a reminder of the Passover. But what's this deal about the Joseph bones? You know, as you think about it, God had promised his people through Abraham that they would have the promised land, the the land flowing with milk and honey, that that land that would allow them to prosper us. But then he he threw this in to Abraham. He said, oh, oh, by the way, that's not going to happen for 400 years. And actually, that was a round number because it didn't happen for 430 years. And, And when Joseph was the one to announce to them uh, that they had to go into Egypt because the famine had come into the experience of God's people, uh, he told them, oh, by the way, I want you to remind yourself that God is still going to be good, and he will deliver you from Egypt into Israel, the promised land, and and hold on to my bones, and that will be a reminder to you all these years that we have a future with God. We have a promise that has been settled in the, the faithfulness of God. 
And so every time, and I don't know where they store those bones, but every time they walk by those bones, they're reminded, we're, we're, we're not going to stay here forever. God has promised that land that he had given Abraham and his people. But then you also have the, the, the Red Sea. The Red Sea was a reminder. And by the way, the Passover, the Passover reminder is given at least over 50 times to remind them God's faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. And then before they went even into, um, even before Joseph died, he, he gave them that, that command, bring my bones back to Egypt. But the Red Sea was a, a marker in the life of the, of the Israelites that, that God had been good to them. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 21, it's kind of an interesting little story. After the sea is parted, after God delivers them from Pharaoh and all the chariots and all those who are about to uh, murder all of them, they break out in song. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 21, it says this, Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment. You know, when you think about God being real, there's all kinds of ways to enhance your memory of who God is and what he's done. And often one of the best ways to do that, apart from the word of God, is, is to sing songs to God. And that's what happens in church gatherings. There are worship songs, whether it be hymns or, or spiritual songs, special songs. There are times of remembrance of the goodness of God. And can I just suggest to you that hopefully you have some special songs that that really mean more to you than maybe other songs, and it just brings back uh, just the goodness of God. You know, I, I was, <laughs> and I don't mean like that Dennis who I said, you know, play one of my special songs, crown him with many crowns. I'm talking about one that, that really speaks in your life. I, I remember one of mine is, is a very familiar, it's almost a, it's a song children sing all the time, and I sing it with my grandchildren. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And and whatever special song you might have, I I just encourage you to remember that when you're going through difficult times. But really, the, the challenge I want for you to think about is, what is your special God moment? None of us were there at the Passover. None of us were there taking the bones of Joseph back to the promised land. None of us were there when the sea was parted. We, we've maybe seen the cartoon, the prince of, of, of Egypt, or maybe we've seen the Ten Commandments, but, but we, we, we weren't there. So that, that's not our experience. It's, it was their experience. What, what are the God moments in your life? If God's going to be real in you, you, you need to look back. and when, when did God do something in your life so significant that you never want to forget? Uh, I just want to share with you a few of mine. That, uh, first of all, in, in the early years of my, of my life, and as I was struggling with all kinds of things, one of the things that, that, that um, I was kind of overwhelmed with is, that, is, is I would have these nightmares where I, it seems like every night I would, somehow I would, I would suffer a horrible death. And, and, and all I could think about for a while was, well, what's going to happen when I die? What's going to happen when I die? And, I remember when I gave my heart to Jesus, those fears left, those nightmares left. I I no longer had a fear of death because I know who was going to take me when my life was over. But I've had other other God moments as well when when God just showed up when I desperately needed him. Some of the people in our church and my family are more familiar with these stories, uh, actually two of them, but there were... 
there were three distinct times in my life where I was uh, seriously and dangerously lost. And uh, I had no idea how I was going to get out of what I was now in. Now, now probably some of you are thinking three times. Uh, why didn't you le- learn the first time? <laughs> well, I'm a little slow learner is all I can say. But, you know, the three times I seriously got lost, and I won't go through the time of sharing the details of that, uh, and only, actually, only two of them were my fault. The other, the other one, I couldn't help the other time. But I, I, there was that place where not only was I fearful about what might happen, uh, but there were other people that were a little concerned about what might happen, and, and people prayed. And that prayer was answered. And all three times, God rescued me from dangerous experiences uh, because his hand, his powerful right hand, reached out and and grabbed me. And and I hope that you can look back at a a number of experiences where during the times of doubt, during the times where it seems like life is filled with darkness, that you'll look back at those times when your light was filled with God's light and he made himself significantly real to you. Maybe it was a time in which you were experiencing God's answered prayer in your life. Uh, Maybe when you were in a situation where you were praying for another and God came through. Maybe just going through an experience where there was a lot of pain and suffering, but recognizing that in the midst of it all, God was there. Whatever it might be, look back at those times. Maybe you have great joy. Maybe you're, you were at a camp or something that was just a time where, where God just made himself real to you in a dramatic way. Maybe not a burning bush experience like Moses, but, but, but something like that where you just knew that God showed up. So when we think about what does it take to, to be real with God and have it real to you, it, you got, you got to give your life full and complete to him. He's got to be first He's got to be central, just like, just like he told the people of Israel. Look, at when you leave, when, I, when I've now sent you free from Egypt, I want to remind you that your firstborn belongs to me. Your firstborn of everything that you have belongs to me. And I ought to be central in your life. And when people ask you why you do what you do, you tell them it's because all the good things God has done for me. And then when life gets a little bit harder, and trust me, throughout the book of Exodus, life's going to get hard for the people of God I want you to remind yourself that there are no shortcuts with God. There are times where God takes us through the difficult times to to mold us and to make us in the kind of people he wants us to be. Sometimes the best times are the hardest times because that's when we learn the most about what life is all about and who God is and how he's there for us during those times. And then thirdly, we need to realize that we need to have some markers. We need to have some reminders. We ought to have some things that, that just call us back to God's goodness. And that day, it was the Passover. It was the, the bones of Joseph brought back uh, to the land. It was the Red Sea and the, and the songs that were sung and the ones that reminded them of the goodness of God. And we ought to have some special songs in our life or, or the God moments that are particularly true for us. But I want to end this, this look at Exodus today with just the last couple of verses in Exodus chapter 13. And, and, and really, it's just a, a simple, clear point about what the Christian life is all about, what following God and knowing God is all about. It becomes real when you, when you follow the Lord in your life. Because God wants us to trust and, and love, but also obey him and, and follow his direction in our life. Sometimes we look back in the, 
Old Testament or even parts of the New Testament, we wonder, I wish I could have lived during those days. Uh, how do they know what God wanted them to do? In Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, it, it says this, that the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, I hope you, I hope you catch that. Is, uh, you know, w- w- wouldn't you like God to make it a little bit more obvious about some of the things he wants you to do or not to do? Uh, who, who he wants you to, if you're, if you're not quite at that place in your life where you're married or whether you decide, should I get married or not married? Maybe God wants me to be single, which is a great uh, path to follow as well. Is that you decide what job should I, should I take? What career path should I follow? What, what, uh, what school should I go to? Or should I go to school at all? Should I go into the military? Whatever it might be. And you look for a verse in the Bible, and it doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything about that. Or you look at, well, couldn't you, couldn't you write in the sky? And couldn't I be in the days of Moses and the people of Israel getting out of Exodus, where you would put this pillar of fire during the during the day and a pillar of cloud by night? And the pillar—I got that opposite. <laughs> you think about the pillar of cloud by pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. You know, why can't I have some kind of like that of God's leading? And, and God says, let's just trust me. Just trust me. Because what's more important than anything else is who you are and who's your, who's your are. That, that you're, you're my child, and I, I will direct you. And I've written you a pretty good book for, to give you some guidance on that. If, if your heart is mine and you're following what I've already said in the scriptures, then You'll be, you'll be led by God who really cares. And if you go down the wrong direction or a different direction I want you to go, I'll change the circumstances to lead you down the right path. You know, the Bible says this about being a follower of Jesus, follower of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It's all about trusting him and acknowledging him in everything you do. The word of God is that which speaks into our lives and helps us know how to follow him, where to go. All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. It's for our benefit. All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God, the teenager of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God will lead us when we follow what he's told us in his word. And for us to get it real with God, then we, we, we got to listen to what he has said and then and follow, follow what he's told us to do and to be. So I want to leave us with a question this morning. And so what is this? Well, what do you need to do to, to keep it real? Have you been playing games with God and you've only been experimenting with him? You've only been taking a taste, but you haven't, you haven't gotten all in? then what you need to do today is, is put him first and make him central in your life. Have you come to this place in your life where you, where you think the Christian life ought to be easy and you need to recognize that there are no shortcuts with God? God has that path, that journey, not always easy but awesome that he wants us to take. Or maybe in your life you're filled with more despair because you're going through difficult times. We're all going through difficult times. And God wants you to just to be reminded of his goodness. What is the Passover experience for you in your life? What is the, the carrying of bones for hundreds of years stored away and then you remember God's goodness because you got to the promised land? Where is the Red Sea experience in your life? 
What are the God moments you can look back at, look back and remind you in the midst of challenge today that God has been good in the past, and if he's good in the past, he will be good in the future. Then finally, have you come to that place in your life where you really are committed to following him? And that's really what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's a, it's a learner, it's a follower of the one who's leading, and are we willing to go down his path? I was, uh, I was reading this past week about Dwight Eisenhower, and, and, and this, is, this is a statement he made at his first inaugural address on January 20th, 1953, right after he had, had been the most decorated general you could imagine in World War II, and he had led the Allies to victory in World War II. And he said this about life. He said, history does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak or the timid. You know, this thing about that, he set his people free, but he said, look, I want you to understand, it's... To be entrusted with freedom, you, you can't be weak in your faith, and you, you can't be timid in trusting me in life. I was reading another quote this past week where it was, it was a British novelist Charles Kingsley, and he, he wrote this. There are two freedoms, the false and the true freedom. The false freedom is where a person is free to do what he desires, but the true freedom is where a man is free to do what he should do and what he ought to do. What should we do? We should put our trust, our complete trust in him. Acknowledge him in everything that we do, putting him first and central in our life. We need to recognize that there are no shortcuts. We need to recognize and really believe that that God wants us to be reminded of his goodness by looking back where he's been faithful. So when we're going through difficult times that we recognize that we can be filled with trust because he's been good. And just remember, he wants us to be followers, following his path through his word. Let's look to him in prayer. Our Father, I pray that each one of us might come to that place in our life where we're honest with you and real with you, genuine with you, and we come to that place where we say, well, what is it, God, you want me to do? What's my next step of obedience? What's my step, next step of trusting you? What's my next step of showing that I really love you and I know that you love me? What's that next step where I obey you in areas that maybe I'm struggling in? For some, it's to make that first step, which is to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give you my life. Come into my life right now and make me a new person on the inside. Forgive me of my sins. And maybe for the rest of us, Lord, help me in those areas where I've been going astray, going down my own path. Help me be completely devoted to follow you. Help us to learn from the lessons of the past how you want us to live now in the present. And we praise in Jesus' name, amen.